welcome to Business Disability Forum's podcast, Business Disability Debates, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, HSBC. I am Diane Lightfoot, and I'm Chief Executive of Business Disability Forum, and this is the second in our series of short podcasts to examine and discuss the topic of neurodiversity in the workplace to coincide with the launch of our new Neurodiversity Toolkit. Sponsored by Microsoft, our Neurodiversity Toolkit aims to help you become more inclusive to neurodiverse employees, customers, clients and service users. It has advice on workplace adjustments, creating positive environments and recruiting neurodiverse talent. It's available free to all our members and partners on our Knowledge Hub and has been created with the help of our members and partners, BBC Cape, Santander, PwC, HSBC, Oracle and Willis Towers Watson, plus our expert partners, Do It Solutions, Genius Within, and Lexic. I'm delighted that my guest today is Dr. Nancy Doyle, CEO of Genius Within. Hello, Nancy, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Diane, and very happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, Nancy, um, I can't believe that anyone listening to this won't know you, but just in case, could you kick us off and tell us a bit about your background and what you do? Um, Sure. So I'm an occupational psychologist um, and that is someone who has studied the psychology of the workplace broadly. So um, occupational psychologists tend to be experts in workplace environments, engagement, motivation, high performing teams, organisational culture. And within that school of thought, I have specialised for many years in disability inclusion. Um, I actually my first ever job was working in social care for adults with learning disabilities and physical disabilities and so I've spent my whole career trying to create environments in which people can work at their best. My social enterprise genius within covers kind of three main areas of working support so we support businesses and employees to work at their best and to progress um, as the talented and unique individuals uh, that they are and that they employ Uh, we also work with people who are long-term unemployed and we work with people who are in prison and we pioneered the idea of positive assessment so in the neurodiversity field there has been a history of a glass half empty approach you let's think about all the things in which you have a deficit let's think about the disordered parts let's think about the impairments which is useful for acquiring funding and and getting people's difficulties to be taken seriously and under the the spirit of the law and that is important and people's very real experiences of inclusion but with neurodiversity it's not the whole picture and actually when we're diagnosing things like autism ADHD dyslexia dyspraxia one of the things that we're doing is looking for strengths and areas of competence which we then compare to weaknesses so that we can identify those weaknesses as specific rather than overall and therefore you know one of the things I've tried to do in my career is is just rebalance people's narrative around disability in general you know it's not all about strengths and weaknesses it's also about loyalty and emotion and engagement and and team uh, diversity and from an employment perspective it's about having an employee staff team that is representative of the communities that you serve so if if you're going to have customers and service users that are a wide variety of 
of intellectual capacity, of emotional capacity, of, of divergent thinking, then you need to design for that in the way that you operate. So that's a kind of nutshell of, of what my mission in life is, really. Um, and within that, I have studied and researched to as, for as much as I can to build up the evidence base so that we can really understand how to make this work in practice, as opposed to the sort of very a pie in the sky idea that it might come across as if you didn't really understand the details. Mm. I mean, the, the stuff that you do and the research and learning that continuous learning you do is incredible. I, I read your Twitter feed sometimes and I feel exhausted and inadequate. <laughs> it's very, very impressive. I also didn't know that you worked in social care. So um, before I joined BDF, mm. I spent 13 years um, at a social care provider working with uh, people with a learning disability. Mm -hmm. And your glass half full and empty thing really struck a chord because mm -hmm. I remember talking to people about, OK, so if you're going to get um, assessed for um, disability living allowances was or personal independence payment then you do need to think about yourself on your worst day but when you're talking to an employer that's you on your best day and it's, it's a completely different mindset and I really like what you said about rebalancing the narrative and particularly you use the word talent because mm. this is about talent isn't it which comes in lots of different forms and I know you wanted to particularly talk about recruitment today and to think about you know how can we improve our recruitment processes for disabled colleagues and more specifically how do you think that we can best improve them for, for those with neurodiverse conditions? Well it's, it's very popular at the moment, the talent argument. You know, we're in the business world, we're discussing neurodiversity with a kind of diamond in the rough narrative. And we're looking at specific programs targeting specific skills. For example, the most popular being recruiting autistic coders um, or, or autistic people into sort of highly detailed processing jobs uh, around data entry or testing of software and that sort of thing and and I think I think that has it has had its day if I'm honest I think that was um, a point of principle exercise that was uh, started in good faith and with honorable intentions to really draw out uh, the idea that people have specialist skills because they are specialist thinkers as opposed to generalist thinkers and that's a great argument and a great way of starting something off but it's become limited so i think how we need to improve our recruitment processes is to become a little bit more intersectional not just around neurodiversity and disability but around all areas of marginalization and further if someone does want to apply through the autism recruitment program and they happen to be female um, or from a community marginalized by race they are less likely to have a formal diagnosis so how how do they get onto the program? Is self-diagnosis an okay thing? And if it isn't an okay thing, then how are we dealing with the fact that the autism is by and large um, a diagnosis of privilege? And these are the questions that I have around the current status quo. And this is why I think we need to take the learning from the current status quo and move on and get broader and more intersectional about how we do this. 
And I think your point about intersectionality is, is really, really important and none of us sit in one box. And I'm reflecting on a conversation I had with um, Phil Friend, one of our ambassadors, who was talking mm. about a career development course. And uh, a woman had gone on it and she was a wheelchair user and she said that she was given the choice by her employer of either going on the leadership development course for women or the one for disabled people. And, you know, it, it was just you have to choose which, which bit of diversity you want to be on, on a given day. Mm. And just thinking about what you're saying about autism, I, I really recognise the narrative around um, autism in men or women being really quite different. And yeah, it's really, really important. So I guess a big question really, but how can we encourage businesses to take a more holistic view and promote disability inclusion from that perspective of intersectionality? Well, I think it's about looking at where the people who don't apply are now and what we need to do to go out and find them. I have a, a board member um, who also runs a um, she runs a community um, interest company which focuses on systemic violence in the prison system. Um, she's a mixed race woman. She is self-diagnosed autist. And she and I did a conference together. And well, I invited her to do this conference. We were invited to do a, a conference presentation, which was about technology and females in technology. And I was asked to do intersectionality. So I felt I ought to make sure that there were uh, voices representative of racial equity in that discussion as well. So I invited Whitney as a, as a colleague. And her first thought was, what have I got to say to that industry that they would possibly be interested in? And then her second thought was that, that is what I have to say to the, that industry. It's that as, a, as an autistic woman who is also mixed race, I don't feel I have anything to say to the tech industry who are going out of their way to recruit autistic people. Interesting. That's interesting in and of itself. So, so it's about thinking, well, where are people like Whitney and why aren't we going to find them as opposed to waiting for them to apply to us? We have an attraction problem and not a recruitment problem. People like Whitney don't even knock on the door. How can we help organisations to understand that diversity inclusion isn't a specific programme? It isn't a thing that you think, right, in 2021, I'm going to do neurodiversity and then we've cracked it. How can we get them to understand it's an ongoing process and get them to have a really kind of systematic approach to inclusion? And I'm borrowing your language there, Nancy, around systematic inclusion because I like it. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, there's systematic and there's systemic. And those are two different things. And I think in order to get to systemic, we have to do systematic. So firstly, it has to be part of the way we do things around here. It has to be a daily occurrence and not a special project. And that's where I think some of the um, autism recruitment programmes have become slightly tokenistic. And that's a bit of an issue. Um, and we need to, you know... Uh, we, we need to make it the, the norm for all jobs and not just the ones that we've highlighted as needing a specific skill, because otherwise that's kind of exploitative. You know, it's a little bit like saying, well, we need more women. So we, we hear that they're very good secretaries and they're great at HR. So we'll bring them in for that particular role. It doesn't work if you think about it through the gender inclusion lens. And it doesn't really work when you think about it through the neurodivergence lens either. So what we need to be, I, I think the major paradigm shift is that businesses realize need to realize that it's the business that needs to change, not the individual. So if we, if we don't have the representation that we seek in our staff base, um, we need we need to change. 
in order for that to change. And the way we can change is that we can learn from the people who are already within and the people that are coming through the door. So I've got this idea about cumulative analysis of individual level adjustments. So most of the businesses that are part of your membership are quite proactive about adjustments. They're Mm -hmm. doing disability adjustments. They're making, uh, they're having assessments. They're putting in place coaching, assistive technology, things like, you know, double screens, you know, all of those lovely things that we know are are, uh, enabling for people. Um, And they, but they're doing it all on an individual level. And so what I think we need to start doing is going, right, how do we how does this add up? And when we start counting how many of those we've done per year across our business and we start thinking, right, oh, that's interesting. And we start looking at the demographics of of who's coming and when they're coming for help. And we start going, oh, look, there's a little there's a little bounce in adjustment support required six months after promotion. It's happening over and over and over again. Right. Since we are repeating this exact issue on an individual level systematically, let's create a systematic solution for it. Let's make part of our new manager onboarding process um, address executive function difficulties in concentration and memory, for example. Let's let's make part of our manager onboarding process um, accessible to new forms of technology. Let's introduce assistive technology at that point because people might be going from kind of doing a lot of doing work to reading a lot of other people's reports. And so it might increase the reading burden. And so actually, if they had access to assistive technology at that point and were trained how to use it, it might ease that transition. So when we look at the the cumulative um, patterns within the individual adjustments, then we can start thinking about how we need to be more systematic in the way that we do our flexible adjustments. And then we start to change our systems and then we become systemically inclusive. So over time, we become a learning system. So we learn repeatedly every time we every time we have to do something different for one person, we start counting that. And, and that's how we then start to learn about ourselves. What would we need to do differently that this individual problem didn't arise again in the future? How could we change our system so that we don't keep having this problem? And I I mean, this idea for me has come from, I've, I've worked in this particular industry for 20 years. In, um, in the early 2000s, I was an access to work assessor um, and I used to go around and do access to work assessments. And I was noticing that I was recommending the same things over and over and over again and so then I got really interested in the coaching and I started delivering coaching for um, access to work customers with hidden disability mental health needs neurodiversity etc and again I noticed I was coming across the same problems over and over and over again and in my research what I've found is that 92% of people with hidden disability want help with memory and concentration 92% that's nearly all of them and I've been counting this for 10 years and it doesn't change. Every time I do a cohort sample, it's, it's always over 90 percent. Um, the next most popular topic in, in coaching is organisational skills at 82 percent, time management at 78 percent. And then um, communication skills and stress management tie for 67 percent. So when you've got that much commonality in what people are struggling with, surely there has to be a more efficient way to deliver the adjustments than one to one. And every time it being something new and a surprise. Yeah. Like, yes. oh, 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 someone's struggling with that again. Oh, what is it? Oh, I get that. And mm. also um, we did, I'm sure you know, we did a great big workplace. It was called the Great Big Workplace Adjustment Survey. 
yeah. uh, last year and I've just released the report. And I can't remember the exact figures, but the amount of people who don't ask for an adjustment, whatever it is, because they're so worried about what their boss will think of them, what their colleagues will think of them, all those sorts of things. Whereas if you make it systematic and everyone gets asked mm-hmm. what they need and yeah. you're not making a judgment call on who you ask, then you completely remove that that stigma and that barrier and I really really liked as well what you were saying about um, the business that needs to change not the individual and this isn't specifically um, about neurodiversity but we know that working from home is the most frequently requested adjustment mm-hmm. and obviously our members are generally um, leading the way in, in, in disability inclusion in lots of ways including that but there are still businesses who were saying you know you can't work from home people won't be productive we can't meet outcomes and of course then COVID came along and shifted that and the business had to change mm. so so there must be ways that we can do that at scale mm. in other areas. Um, yes. And you also talked about hidden disability, Nancy. So given that it's going to be about line managers having that conversation, how can we support businesses to be more aware of neurodiversity where they may be employing someone who hasn't told them they have a neurodiverse condition or indeed doesn't have a diagnosis, going back to your point about it actually being a privilege to have actually, a diagnosis? It, yeah, it really is. I mean, the average waiting time for an ADHD diagnosis for adults is five years in this country right now, unless you want to pay to go private, um, which most people don't realise is actually quite cheap. You can do it very easily. Um, but the <laughs> in my PhD research, one of the things I did is compare uh, groups of, of neurodiverse adults um, who had no coaching, one-to-one coaching and group coaching, because I think group coaching is a more effective delivery method. It's something we can do uh, proactively rather than reactively. And additionally, it's cheaper. It's cheaper and more, more efficient. So does it work was one of my questions in, in my PhD research. And the answer is yes. Actually, the group coaching participants did better than the one-to-one group uh, participants. And that really surprised me. I was hoping that they would do as well. That's what I was hoping for in my research. I was like, oh, if they can, if they can make the same level of improvement, that's great. But actually, they improved more. And they continue to improve after the coaching in terms of their work performance, their stress management, their self-efficacy all of those things continued to increase because they had created a little um, peer network where they were supporting each other and they were getting ideas off each other and feeling less stigmatized because they were in a you know with each other so actually the the, the social learning model worked was way more effective and it's more cost efficient and I just don't see any reason why this isn't happening um, across the businesses that, that want to be uh, neurodiversity inc- inclusive because I think this is the this is one of the ways we can make it really inclusive is to just automatically provide for what we know people are going to need rather than yeah acting like it's a surprise like you said oh you again someone like you again oh hello. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Quite right. And um, I think we're going to be launching the toolkit, uh, not toolkit, the toolkit is launched, the guide to commissioning and the checklist um, to go out with this podcast. So do look out for that. And um, thank you so much for joining me, Nancy. Thank you for, for writing that extra guidance for us. It's so important. And as ever, I could chat with you for 
hours, I think, so much longer, but I'm under strict instructions not to go on for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you can provide further support to our members and partners at Genius Within. So if anyone listening is interested in that, do do contact, obviously, Genius Within or contact us and we can, we can uh, put you in touch. Um, obviously, at BDF, we also have our own resources to support you, including, of course, our neurodiversity toolkit um, and also our people manager guide on disabilities, which are not immediately visible. And our sincere thanks again to all those who contributed their time, expertise and content to help us create the neurodiversity toolkit. And they are BBC Cape, Santander, PwC, HSBC, Oracle, Do It Profiler, Genius Within, Willis Towers Watson and Lexic, and of course, Microsoft, our sponsor. Um, meanwhile, my big thanks again to Dr. Nancy Doyle for being my guest for the second of our business disability debates series on uh, neurodiversity. Um, do join me for the future editions when I'll be joined by Stuart Blair from Text Help and also Nicola James from Lexic. This episode of the Business Disability Debates podcast series was brought to you by our sponsor, HSBC. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's podcast, head over to businessdisabilityforum.org.uk to find out more about our resources and services. And why not give us a comment or rating on iTunes or just tell a colleague or friend about us? You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast or Spotify. Look for Business Disability Forum podcasts and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode.